welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. Hello, welcome back. We are talking all things Title IX as it is the 50th anniversary of that piece of legislation. Today's episode, we're going to focus on Title IX as it applies to or does not apply to transgender athletes. Is there room for in Title IX for transgender athletes? It is a topic that's hotly debated right now. I've watched it trying to understand the science behind it, the emotions behind it, and also my natural inclination to want to be inclusive, knowing how it feels to have lived in a body that for generations is, has been excluded, whether it be grandparents, my parents, myself, being an African-American woman. So I, I have that inclination to vote, to be part, to root for the underdog to listen and want to understand why there's a need for exclusion. Some may argue there's a need for exclusion or however the, the argument may be couched. Why is it being said like that? And so that's why I want us to have a real open dialogue about how Title IX plays into or deals with this conversation around our college athletes, our youth. They could be your child. This could be really personal to you. It could be a cousin, a brother, or sister that's a transgender individual. They are an amazing athlete. And part of the college experience is playing a sport. You can talk to any college athlete. I don't even care if it's intramural or you know, non-D1 you know, sports. And you think about the college experience, the games, going to the game, being a fan of the game. I don't have the numbers readily available, and I'll do that as part of this series that we're running on Title IX. But we know definitively that students that have no intention of playing a sport will make decisions about their college and where they're going, and parents, where you're going to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars based on that athletic department, the football team, the Big Five, University of Alabama. This past Memorial Day, my nephew came up, Dylan from Alabama. He's attending the University of Alabama. And he was talking about 
the football team and the games. And we were talking about whether we would even be able to get tickets. It is a huge part of the college experience from a fan, from an onlooker, and from an athlete. So does Title IX extend? Should it extend? Should we include transgender athletes? How do we make it inclusive or can we? That's really what we're going to talk about with on this episode. The U.S. Department of Education came out in June 16, 2021, confirming that Title IX protects students from discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. From time to time, the different departments will provide instructive memos or clarifications as to laws. And that's what this was in June 16. In sum and substance, the U.S. Department Office of Civil Rights, they issued a notice of interpretation explaining that it will enforce Title IX's prohibition on discrimination on the basis of sex to include any discrimination based on sexual orientation was to be prohibited by Title IX. So they issued this notice clarifying that in case anyone had any questions. And two, the notice of interpretation also said that discrimination based on gender identity is prohibited under Title IX of the Educational Amendments of 1972. So again, to repeat, in 2021, they clarified saying that Title IX prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in any education program or activity offered by a recipient of federal financial insistence. The department went on to say that this interpretation is coming from, it stems from the Supreme Court decision in Bostock v. Clayton County that took place in 2022, where the Supreme Court recognized that it's, it's an impossibility. It's impossible to discriminate and should not happen to discriminate against a person based on their sexual orientation or gender identity without discriminating against the person based on sex. You cannot, you can't split the two. You can't construe those as being separate. The Supreme Court upheld the right of LGBTQ persons to live and work without fear of harassment, exclusion, and discrimination. So that was part of the notice of interpretation that was issued by the Department of Education directly dealing with individuals under Title IX and discrimination based on either gender identity or sexual orientation. Well, you would think we have this notice of interpretation, some clarification from the U.S. Department of Education. So why then is there controversy surrounding an individual who is transgender, who wants to participate in a collegiate sport? What is the brewing upset among both, depending on which side you're on? A lot of it has to do with, even in 2022, the term being transgender, what does that mean? We know as a culture, historically, we've always viewed every institution under one lens. That is, that is kind of, you guys are probably tired of me. That's probably my, uh, the song that I'm always singing because it's true, quite frankly, from my point of view. But we, viewed, we have viewed culture and every institution from the perspective, the viewpoints, and the experiences of only one type of individual, straight European descent, 
white males have established institutions in America. They provide the structure, the foundation. They have been set up to benefit their families, their clan, their tribe. And because of that, we have lots of pain and lots of suffering. And so we get now, fast forward hundreds of years within our institution, and let's crystallize this now to speaking about college sports and transgender. What does that mean? And because we have never really had to consider what we should have considered, but have not considered previously individuals who identify with different gender identities or expressions, we are now at this crossroads of how to be inclusive, how to not cause any more unwanted suffering if you don't identify as white, male, European, straight, cisgender. A little bit about exactly what we mean by that term. And I know, I guess for a sense of clarity, what does that term mean? In a general sense, transgender for purposes of our discussion today means that a person whose gender identity or their internal sense of being male or female or something else does not correlate. It doesn't match the sex that they were assigned at birth. You can have other definitions, medical definitions, but that's in general what we're going to mean by the, by how that's, I'll use that term today. So it's where your, the sex that you are assigned at birth, your genitalia does not correlate how you identify as a human, how you move about in the world. We sometimes even shorten that word transgender. We can say trans, trans male, trans female. In a general sense, when you're when you now are learning and trying to understand this term, it's always best to just be open to ask if you're speaking to someone directly, this is kind of a footnote, ask them how they identify. But we can no longer make assumptions in our private or personal relationships about a person's identity. And in my opinion, that's a good thing. We want to be more inclusive. We want to learn. Of course, it's causing, in spite of what the U.S. Department issued in June of 2021, as their attempts to issue interpretations and clarifications, it still has not quieted the spectrum of controversy under Title IX, discrimination, and collegiate sports. Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is or was a University of Pennsylvania transgender swimming. The NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, it had previously ruled, issued a rule regarding transgender student athletes and allowing that they can participate in the championships that were held in March of 2021. And that caused great controversy for this swimmer. There were statements that were released that were showing that Miss, and you know what, I have an extra, so I'm going to say Leah Thomas. I'm not going to put a Mr. Mrs. That's part of my cultural background and upbringing. So Thomas, what was happening in this case is that she was breaking records when competing in female categories with the NCAA. And this was even after she had gone through testosterone suppression treatments. There were parents, teammates, 
coaches within commentators that were outraged by the times and by allowing Thomas to participate in the women's sporting. There was criticism about the entire NCAA policy around transgender athletes. One outspoken critic regarding transgender, allowing transgender athletes to compete in women's sport, collegiate sport, is Nancy Hogshead Maker. And Ms. Hogshead actually is well-known. She's an expert herself in Title IX, its evolution. She runs the Champion for Women Foundation. She's a decorated Olympic swimmer from the 1980s. She's an expert witness, a commentator, and an author. Some of what um, Ms. Hogshead had stated was that allowing transgender women, and I hope that I'm not misquoting, and hopefully I can get Nancy on the show to speak on this issue. She's saying that it's not about fairness in women's sport, but that swimmers like Thomas, they have a competitive edge. In a quote that she said, the competitive edge that Leah Thomas has is multiple times over the competitive advantage that the most doped up Eastern woman European had. And she's referring to when she was competed, that when she was competing as a swimmer, there were Eastern Europeans that were violating rules that were taking drugs to increase their scores, their wins, their competition. And what Nancy is saying here is that Thomas, she is even competing at a higher level because of the physiology of having the body or being in the body and the mechanics of what it is, the hormone production of being in a male body. Although she doesn't, Thomas does not identify as male, that that competitive advantage in just the way the female form and the male form are structured is a competitive advantage. And the argument goes, so we have two arguments and then we have individuals in between that are undecided. The argument critics of Thomas and swimmers of critics of transgender athletes like Thomas, I should say, say that these athletes, transgender athletes, should be placed in a separate category or have competitions featuring transgender athletes where they are considered exhibition contests, where they can compete, but their times would not count as records and their placements wouldn't count as team points. Critics of transgender athletes within female sport. They go on to say that if you have transgender athletes placed and competing in a separate category, it wouldn't take a slot away from female athletes because the fear and critics who oppose including transgender athletes within female categories within female collegiate sports are saying that for so long in the episode that I just aired, we talked about the history of Title IX and the access and the opportunities to compete 
that it has given to female athletes in 19, from 1972 to war today is now endangered by the inclusion of transgender athletes within female sport. Because for so long, female athletes have fought for these spots. And if you now include transgender athletes who, albeit, are not identifying with the gender that they were assigned at birth, that still does not take away the scientific fact that they are competing in the form with the hormones and with the advantages of being a male, be it the body type, the height, the length of the arms, or if you're speaking about in swimming, the stroke, the body type. So that is why critics of transgender athletes are saying that they should compete within their own category. One critic goes on to say that Thomas is doing nothing that she's not helping or, and I don't know, this is someone's personal, personal commentary about this athlete. And I think for what it's worth, we have to remember that Thomas is, she's a college student of a certain age. One critic said that Thomas is doing nothing to engender the acceptance, love, or tolerance of transgender people. And I don't think, I don't know Thomas personally, but I doubt that when this athlete, college athlete is jumping in the pool, that that's what she's doing. She's trying to garner a societal support or love and acceptance for transgender people. We should all be wanting to do that as we think about this issue and think about how to resolve this problem without causing more pain to any side. The NCAA adopted its transgender policy that I spoke about before in 2011. And in essence, that policy states that transgender female student athletes being treated with testosterone suppression medication, that they can continue to compete on the male team. But if they want to switch and if they want to compete on a women's team, that that only can be done after they have taken suppression treatments. So suppress their testosterone for one calendar year. In the case of Thomas, she competed on the male's team for three years, and then she switched to the women's team in 2020 after she had been receiving the testosterone suppression treatment. Critics go on to say that it doesn't matter if transgender athletes take testosterone suppression treatments, that even after the suppression treatment, they are still competing because of the science. They are still competing above the top female athletes. So it's, uh, we all agree that this is a complex issue. I know that anytime I'm thinking about college sports or anything, it could be with collegiate, that we have to remember that if we're talking about mental health within college athletics, sexual violence, that we are dealing with, we meaning the adults in the room, we are dealing with 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and that a lot of our decisions, criticisms, and thinking about these issues that we have to remember that we're not talking about fully matured, fully 
blossomed individuals with all of the life experience and opportunities that we have when we think about these issues. So when we start to criticize or think about policy, that that's one factor that has to be taken into consideration. But I digress. We're talking about this one athlete. We're talking about how to be more inclusive. Along those lines, there is Ross Tucker, who is a sports scientist, a professional speaker. He is an expert in the high performance of athletes in sports. He operates out of Cape Town in South Africa, and he has spoken extensively about this issue of including transgender athletes within female collegiate programs. He has worked as a research consultant for World Rugby. He's very strategic in his thinking, in his science. He presents himself under the science of sport. He has a website where he talks about his work. He says he's an ambassador and a science advisor to Virgin Active and Adidas, where he helps apply science to educate staff members, educate coaches, and train for different events all around the world. He deals in whether it's kayaking or triathletes in the U.S. or the United Kingdom. I had the opportunity to listen to and participate in a discussion where Dr. Tucker, Ross Tucker, spoke directly on the issue of whether Title IX, he didn't touch on Title IX, but whether we should include transgender athletes. And he presented several different slides that talked about the biology from a biological perspective on transgender athletes. And he talked about, we saw during the presentation, just if you looked at the sport of boxing, and there was a comparison where you look at Muhammad Ali, Mayweather, and there were some other different boxers. And so he stopped on that to make the point that even within the sport of boxing and male sports, there's an appreciation for the different weight, class, and size, and that we segregate in boxing depending on skill, strength, and power. You divide them into categories because you want to reward for those attributes and not just continue to award the bigger, stronger person that you want to look at and be able to appreciate the different attributes of athleticism within not only a sport, but even breaking down that sport. So for example, Muhammad Ali had a bigger mass, a bigger striking rage than even Mayweather. And you want to recognize that. You also, Dr. Tucker went on to provide some scientific background to say that even when you looked at in Doha, there were mixed relay races. So races around a track. And among that, among those races and this slide, which was very interesting to see, you had among them the best in the world competing in this mixed race. And when I say mixed race, I mean mixed gender. So you had men and female relay teams. And you often saw that if you had 
the best in the world, which when in this race was a Polish female runner, and you saw her taking the lead, and then you saw someone who is not considered to be the best in the world as far as a male runner, the stride that that individual had, it was one where consistently would pass the female runner. And she was considered to be elite and top of the class. We also saw from a scientific and physiological structure, there was a discussion about the upper body strength in the sport of weightlifting, that the best of the male that they can lift for, regardless if you put the top elite female weightlifter, that they were still lifting 40% more than their female counterparts. Collectively, the scientific studies show that the running, the body speed, the upper and lower body strength of a male, by and large, consistently, from a scientific perspective, outperforms that of female counterparts. And because of that, there is the argument from a scientific point of view that females need the protection that's offered by legislation such as Title IX and need their a specific category. And the argument goes that that category cannot include transgender athletes, not because there is a intent to harm, segregate, or exclude, but because the science shows that the body and the form of a transgender athlete, an athlete that has transitioned from a male body to identify as a female, will never, even with, I shouldn't say never, well, as far as the science has shown us in 2022, that even with suppressing those dominant male hormones that give it an advantage, even with that suppression, they still outperform the best female athletes. There's also the science behind what happens to the male and female body during puberty. And we know that Judy is not anywhere close to a scientist or a doctor, but let me try to give you my understanding of what Dr. Uh, Tucker said about what happens to the bodies of males and females during puberty. Some of the most common things that we know as far as science is that the male form starts to produce puberty, which is the male hormone, and it drives strength, and that removing that hormone will not level the playing field. You'll still have within the male form a different muscle structure and strength, regardless of suppression of drugs. So the question then was distilled out of this discussion. And I think that what we're facing in our colleges and institutions is, are we able to be inclusive and fair? Are we able to hold up the light of Title IX and say, with Title IX's intent to open up the world of collegiate sports, to female athletes, 
Can we now use the same Title IX lens to ensure, one, that we are not taking away opportunities that were given under Title IX? And also, how do we allow for the inclusion and fairness of transgender athletes? Well, critics, and it was my understanding that Ross Tucker was saying that we cannot do both. You cannot achieve both fairness, inclusion, and safety all at the same time by allowing transgender athletes to compete in the same categories as female athletes. That if we do, if we do that, if we allow the Leah Thomases to compete in the pool in the same categories, outperforming consistently, setting records in women's swimming in different in categories, that there will no longer be fairness. So forget it. Critics are saying that the two cannot exist. Instead, the only way, and I'm not necessarily saying this is my opinion, I'm putting this out there to start the discussion because it's so interesting to me because in so many ways, the idea of discriminating, segregating, being inclusive, how do we achieve fairness? It's these same conversations that we have over and over again when we talk about our different institutions. So I find this particularly interesting. And some say that the inclusion of transgender athletes, that it cannot happen. You cannot put transgender athletes with female college sport categories. And instead, the only way to achieve inclusion is to segregate women's sport from transgender sport. And there cannot be a balancing of fairness and inclusion. It just doesn't exist. Instead, critics, some would argue that sport, college sports, your athletic departments, your universities out there, your coaches, the NCAA, that they are going to have to decide whether to separate women's sports or they're going to have to decide to include based on gender identity. But there cannot be both fairness to women and inclusion to transgender. And that's, that's kind of where I'll leave this discussion. What do you think? There's lots of parents. There's lots of decision makers. There are colleges, conferences that are deeply troubled by how do we not run afoul of the June 2021 notice of interpretation issued by the U.S. Department of Labor? How do we not run afoul of the United States Supreme Court decision in 2020 regarding gender equality within the different areas of American life, employment, education? How do we as a college, as an athletic department, not violate these laws, but still provide fairness and opportunity under Title IX to women in sport? How is that achieved? Do we look back to history for a lesson? Do we look back to the different civil rights movements? Do we look back to the history of, and the evolution of Title IX since its enactment? in 1972 and the different iterations and how it evolved. Go back and listen to last week's episode to hear a little bit about that. 
what will be our guide to ensure that individuals who may have been assigned at birth certain genitalia, but do not now identify that and want to express themselves through in their college experience through sport, how do we accommodate? How do we do that? How do we do that with fairness? How do we do that with a sense of belonging? How do we achieve that goal? That's what I leave you with. Leave a comment for me on Apple. You can always reach out there when you rate the show and leave a comment. I read those and let's figure this out. We can figure this out. We're smarter. We're a compassionate culture. We are striving for to be inclusive in work. We can do that also in college sports. If that's the answer, maybe that's not your answer, but I look forward to your comments until next time. Be well. information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.